1: This this, this
0: show is brought to you by Safety FM. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Jay Allen Show. I hope everything is good and grand inside of your neck of the woods. I have to tell you, it seems like it's been a while since we've had our last conversation. Keep in mind, as we're kind of putting the context to this, over the last few weeks, we've been taking a listen to the episodes that we recorded at Safety Day 2021 here in the glorious... Orlando, Florida. So today we get to hold a conversation in real time. I guess is really how you get to take a look at it. So this is an interview that I did with Joshua Kreger. Josh is a visionary leader of human and organizational performance and has 10 years of enterprise safety and risk management leadership experience in some high consequences industry such as critical infrastructure, energy, and intermodal transportation. He holds a Master's of Science in Organizational Leadership from the University of Denver with an emphasis of strategic innovation and change. Josh is currently a Director of Safety and Innovation and Strategy for the company that he works for. So I'm not going to take up too much of your time at the very beginning of this thing, and let's get started with this conversation with Joshua Kreger here on The Jay Allen Show.
1: The Jay Allen Show is streaming now on safetyfm.live.
0: So, of course, my easiest question is also the hardest question all at the same time. You know that already. So uh, how did you get involved in this little tiny world of safety? What does Where was the desire to jump into this mess?
1: So, like, this is going to sound like a familiar story, but like most people, <laughs> I fell butt backwards into it. I um, uh, did, you know, did years of operations management in the hospitality industry. Uh, right on undergrad. And, you know, before that, always had a blue collar background, um, worked in a lot of different trades uh, through college and in high school. Um, so I've I, been sort of peripherally aware of safety. You know, when you're 17 years old, you have no appreciation for it. I can remember uh, doing many of drilling without earplugs and whatnot. So, um, yeah, I just was operations management and then got a little fried in about 2008. So quit my six figure job about a month before the housing market collapsed in 08. Uh, kind of <laughs> serendipitous, though, because my wife was getting uh, ready to apply for med school at the time. And she's like, hey, I want to I want go to this place called Federal Way, Washington, and I want to join this program called AmeriCorps, and I want you to come with me. And again, we weren't, she wasn't my wife at the time. And I said, well, one, where the hell's Federal Way, Washington? <laughs> and then two, what the hell's AmeriCorps? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I went from sort of this 80-hour-a-week cutthroat industry making tons of money to – I'm teaching math and science to um, low-income district uh, children uh, after about a three-week in-doc on how to teach math and science in a high school. So it's kind of like, hey, warm body degree, path path, background check, off you go. So that's how I left my industry. And then we ended up moving to Denver in uh, 2011 for some Mm -hmm. bigger opportunities. And that's where I got my first job, you know, just trying to find a gig, just coming in, trying to rebuild my professional career. And I got on as a DOT compliance specialist with
0: Oh, the love, the
1: love there. I am so familiar with DOT. How did you how did you like that gig? Uh, you know, it's again, it's interesting looking back on. I'm glad I have that foundation in my some part of my brain. But, you know, it's very rote, it's very much, um, you know, I hate anomalies, so I was really good at digging through DOT files and um catching things on drug tests and whatnot. Um But, yeah, it was a good entry into the discipline and then sort of just evolving from there into um, enterprise leadership from a safety perspective. I had that already had that leadership piece in my in my in my background. And then getting into safety was sort of like, oh, you're also not a lead. I'm like, yeah. And then it's sort of just sort of snowballed from there.
0: But that's one hell of a change. I mean, let's talk about it. You left a six figure job. You go into teaching teaching i mean essentially i mean that is a hell of a change but then you go into dot after that as you're going through these changes are you seeing like your your long term on what you're planning on to do trajectory wise like what is your what are your journey as at that portion because i can't imagine you're looking at destination at that point you have to be looking at journey
1: so what are you thinking at this time well you know jay the passion is leadership and it's all leadership. So whether it was in a restaurant, it's opening new restaurants all over the Midwest, whether it was trying to, um, you know, teach poor kids who probably didn't eat for three days, how to do algebra to, Hey, now we got to figure out a way to, um, you know, run drug and alcohol and DOT compliance for 21 union represented employees, 2100 union represented employees. Um, it, to me, was that leadership piece, and I'm always chasing that next leadership challenge. I just happen to have these little superpowers as I pick them up along the way.
0: Well, it, it's a nice little superpower. So shortly thereafter, out of that DOT compliance gig, as you get into the regional health and safety manager position, you pick up a certif- certificate that I'm extremely interested in um, by Echelon Front, which is, of course, Extreme, extreme Ownership, which is the Jacko Willing Company.
1: How the yeah. hell do you get into that? How did you like this? Yeah, so I have um I have a buddy who's a retired Navy SEAL and I kind of just fell into the Jocko thing via that. But um, you know, I again, by the time I found Jocko in 2015, I'd already been a leader for, you know, over twelve years, and I kind of realized I don't know anything about leadership. And that's not to say that Jack was this guru that um, everything he does is not unique. It goes back to Sun Tzu. I could grab Rand. I could grab Peter Decker. I could grab a bunch of different Drucker. I could grab all kinds of leadership books and they all kind of make sense. But um, you know, I just was drawn to this idea of ownership and it was, it started with me looking in the mirror. It was the fat guy in the mirror going, you know, Jay, that was your opportunity to say I'm not fat. But I, um, I, I, I was waiting. I was not going to interrupt. <laughs> um, you know, there are no bad teams, only bad leaders. Like, wow, what a statement. Um, and as I started to onboard Extreme Ownership, I actually got to meet Jocko. Um, I do a lot of work with them now. I actually see them three times a week. And it was just that game changer for me going, um, even when my employee steals and causes a problem, that's my fault. I own that. And it's just that sort of that sort of internal pressure you put on yourself as a leader is what really attracted me to that to that philosophy. And I hope everyone can at least give it a shot. I know people get a little wigged out about the military Navy SEAL deal, but (laughs) man, leadership is agnostic. It doesn't matter. That's why I know SEALs right now who run tech companies, billion dollar tech companies. And it's because leadership's agnostic.
0: So as you're developing this leadership and you're realizing more and more some of the stuff that you've read in the past, some of the things that you're moving forward with, and you're seeing these different concepts inside of the world of safety as you're moving forward because you've been focusing on leadership, what are you kind of seeing that they, br- that they bring together, especially when you start seeing these different things where it's to some extent, some people might take it too harsh on how they, you know, will, will kind of turn around and say on how they pursue and punish to some extent. So how yeah. can you distinguish the leadership from punishment? Because most leaders, depending on how they lead, won't take responsibility on their own. It's this person's; it's their fault, and you kind of move forward, get them out of here, and then the same issue occurs. So how do have you been able to blend the two worlds together?
1: Well, I, I tell you. So I consult with fifty six thousand different businesses in Colorado. Those are all my customers, and um, you know I try to reiterate. You know you can punish or you le- you can learn, but you can't do both. But that is not very. Um, Intuitive, to especially to small business owners, right? It's so personal when something bad happens to an employee. Even though they're empathetic, it's you know it, it shuts down production, it increases their their mod, it increases their premium and insurance, it increases a whole kind of things. And so they want to punish. And we can all remember for those of us from the construction industry, you know, as soon as someone gets hurt, the GC, well, I want I expect this employee to get punished. And that's the unfortunate sort of failure of the discipline at this point, because that's still, that is hat in hand right now in the discipline. It's, and I wonder if it'll ever be different. I think we need to get some uh, senior leaders in the C-suite who actually innovate inside safety instead of focusing on innovation all over their business and then just rolling out the same crap from 1986 and safety from a performance measurement standard. But um, yeah, I try to teach my customers that as soon as you punish, you can't learn. And so it's easy to punish. But the learning is, is what's going to keep people out of the hospital and out of the morgue. And that's that, that piece that I try to turn with that, that, that corner we try to turn with those customers. But it is so hard because it is so intimate when one of your workers get hurt. Either you feel emotionally attached to them and it's painful and or they've caused a ruinous act in, in your business and it's now compromising your livelihood.
0: So when you start having those difficult conversations with your with your customers, how do they handle this? Of course they're the ones that are normally calling you. So how does this work out?
1: Well, again, they don't want to hear that it's their fault. Well, I mean, but you're but you're telling it to them. <laughs> I do tell them that and it's again, it's all in how you present it, right? And I try to use examples. This is where my superpower just coming into this, you know, stagnated industry in insurance safety. Um, As an operational leader, I kind of tell those stories. I do that storytelling for when I was in operations. And, you know, at the end of the day, I have to explain that you have to own this. And when you punish them, the next incident is on you because you chose punishment over learning. And punishment feels better. Punishment's quick. Punishment is intuitive. And it feels like you. It's like it's. It feels like you've done something. It's like these guys, these preppers, right? They'll go buy seven hundred guns, and then they can barely get up their stairs without wheezing. <laughs> it's just it's focusing on the wrong thing. But they feel this sense of accomplishment because I've stockpiled weapons. I'm ready for everything. But then you can't tie your shoes. So it's really just teaching them that you have to stay, make a stand now. And it starts with you as a leader. You own everything in your world as a leader. And I actually teach more extreme ownership than I do OSHA compliance. So when you
0: go in and do something like that, where you're, where you're actually presenting in that fashion, where you're going, okay, extreme leadership, not so much OSHA, do you, do you kind of get the weird look or the weird conversation afterwards by some of the senior, senior management inside of these different organizations, because they have X expectation, because this is what they've grown accustomed to, but you're trying to tell them, Hey, no, you need to really take some responsibility.
1: Yeah. You know, the OSHA thing is, it's their life, right? We have to report out on this. So, gee whiz, why not make it our performance measure for safety as an enterprise? Um, it's And I try to do that in a way that, um, you know, doesn't insult their intelligence, because these are brilliant people that run these companies. Um, they've just, they're part of this same system. And and, and sadly, and this is where I will kind of call out the profession a little bit, they're, they're relying on the people like you and me, Jay. To make the right decision and recommend the right things that will work. So, like, hey, boss, let's let's set up a just culture. Well, what's that? Well, let me give you this book. You know, it's starting that journey, and that's on us as safety leaders to not lead up the chain. We do really good at leading down the chain, backslapping at safety meetings, discussing uh, with foremen how to run a how to run a safety program at the work site. We seem to sort of pause and and get inside our own fears when it's time to lead up the chain of command, which again is another foundation of extreme ownership is being able uh, to walk up to your CEO or walk up to your superintendent and go, this isn't working. It looks like it's working because the number is zero right now on the board, but you and I know that all of a sudden something's going to blow up and eight people are going to die. And then we're going to go, how did we go from 500 million man hours on injury to eight people dead? That's something we want to discuss before it happens.
0: So, being as you have that understanding and you're trying to open the eyes of people in different industries with this, what's some
1: of the pushback that you're getting because I know that that's not an easy pill to swallow yeah the the pushback people don't want to sock it's a <laughs> the pushback is operational pressure i don't know covid um you know lumber being seven hundred thousand dollars per square foot it's these- <laughs> It's these external pressures that always beat safety. Safety loses to operational pressure every day of the week and twice on Sunday. And the pushback I get is we can't afford it or we're, we don't have the motivator at the business. We're talking to the poor HR individual who knows someone's going to die, who knows this isn't good, who knows OSHA is going to come in and, and wrap $100,000 of fines on us. But they don't have the skills. They don't have the stream ownership skills to teach it up the chain. That's where we come in again and teach that. but the big pain is affordability, time, and you know any barrier that anything that would put a barrier in front of the now is the big struggle that, that we face on the consultant level. even in an operations where I was the enterprise safety and loss control manager for the largest gravity fed water system in the country, I still faced that pressure. I had tremendous power. I, could, I shut down a multi-million dollar construction project in 2018. The pressure that came down on me, but I was equipped to deal with that. But you know, someone earlier in their career might just completely fold and then they'll never do that again because you start to enter the self-preservation mode as a safety professional and all of us are always paranoid about losing our jobs.
0: Oh, I mean, I, I mean, I think that most of the times if you take a look, especially inside of the safety profession, it becomes extremely interesting because you have those compliance pressures. You have that safety pressure where you have what some people might call safety fix it where you have to know a little bit of everything to be able to fix it. But then if things are going which some might deem well across the board, then it's all of a sudden, well, do we need this particular safety person where it might be too expensive and just replace them with somebody who might be inexpensive in comparison? So it becomes a very strange thing. So when you decide to do this, when you're working for the largest water provider there, what happens? Do you get the phone call when you shut it down? Are you getting calls, call after call? What the hell are you doing? Or what kind of pressure is being put upon you at this time? If you remember, of course.
1: Yeah, I mean, 8 a.m. I shut it down via email. I would say by nine, um, I find out that the the CEO of that construction company is called the vice president of public affairs, who's now talked to my executive, who's now in my office, asking what happened. And you better be ready to rumble, right? To use Brene Brown's quote, you know. It's <laughs> and but so many of us in safety. Here's the thing: safety safety professional. It requires a lot of analytical attention to detail, not always conducive to the best leadership. And if you don't have that, if you don't have sort of that, that courage, that bravery as a leader, you're going to just go, okay, well, I guess it's not that big of a deal. You'll look for ways out. And yeah, it came down on me and I am looking at this could be the end of it. Right. And so, you know, here's the thing, Jay, safety is just localized rationality in the moment. Um, We make decisions based on what we knew at the time. And then sometimes we're wrong, or sometimes we didn't know something, and then someone gets hurt. And so I shut down that project. I had like one email from a foreman that said someone was going to die. And based on my relationship with that foreman, I pulled the pin on that grenade. I didn't have all the information. I, mm-hmm. I mean, for me, I wanted like seven more pages of what's going on. I wanted photos. I want to talk to other people. No, you know, again, it goes back to extreme ownership look around, stop, look around and make a call. Here you go. Here's your email. Is someone going to die in between the time I'm kind of fumbling around with this, looking for information? So I feel more comfortable with making the decision because safety professionals, we want to hedge as much as we can. That's not the game we play. And, and that's honestly, you do a disservice to the employees you're responsible for protecting by doing that.
0: So as you look back now in retrospective, because that's the only thing that we can do now, do you feel based on the amount of information that you have or had at the time, better saying, did you make the right call?
1: I did make the right call, but I also burned up some significant leadership capital doing it.
0: Okay,
1: um, You can only do that so many times before, you know, it's a cry wolf or you just start to lose confidence. Your, 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 uh, your senior leadership starts to lose confidence in you. Um, but based on the information at the time, you know, I'm pulling off experience. It's more of that. Does it pass a smell test? You know, having leadership experience in the past. I don't know if I had the relationship with that individual that I did. Would I have trusted him? But then again, is that the right decision to make? What if I don't have a relationship but this person's got a legitimate concern?
0: Oh, you so knew where I was going next.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, go for no, it.
0: No, that was exactly what I was gonna ask you next. What if somebody else would have actually said the same scenario, but you didn't have the, the same relationship with them? Well, then what then would it would have been what it would the decision would have been the same? And I, and I know that all this is retrospective and what it coulda, shoulda, woulda, and all that kind of, you know, glass, crystal ball stuff. But I'm always interested on, you know, when you have to make the difficult decision, because it is a difficult decision.
1: Yeah.
0: When you have to look back, how do you feel about it?
1: I would have still stopped it. Okay. And that's because I'd rather live with a termination than live with the worst case scenario. Um, Absolutely. And then, you know, some people will get sanctimonious about, well, you can't stop everything. And then some people will give more sanctimonious and say, you need to stop everything. Right. You pick and choose your battles. You burn up, you burn, you earn more leadership capital than you burn. And I had enough leadership capital built up to pull that pin. And that's another, you know, piece of advice I would give to these junior leaders in safety. Be building up leadership capital every opportunity, because when you do need to burn it, boy, it goes quick. Now. Now that
0: you pulled the pin, everything started moving on, you stopped everything, everything's going. How long is the site closed down for before everything's within the realm of you being comfortable with moving forward with it?
1: Uh, it's like 12 hours, a couple, a couple million.
0: So there was, there was people gunning for you, I would imagine, during that, during that time. As you were saying earlier, people calling, calling, calling. And I can imagine if that's hour one by hour five, they're wanting your, your head on a lance.
1: Well, then internally, you know, that's also our sales internally, you know, that's water sales for us. So it's not just this construction company who's on a deadline, it's also our internal water sales. And, you know, it is every hour in the hour and it's, here's, here's, here's what I always tell individuals and operations. I will always say, prove to me it's safe. I'm not going to take your word for it. Um, And they proved it was safe. And I said, okay, I'm comfortable with it. Just having their attention and having them, you know, hey, can you remove your ban? I said, it's not a ban. I'm doing you a favor. Um, This is going to be worse for you if we kill people. Um, But yeah, it's, it just proved to me it's safe. And sometimes we don't ask those questions as safety professionals. We just sort of, we cower in the moment.
0: Well, because also at the same time, it's an emotional event for some, especially when it comes to the operation side, because now you've closed down the business and let's be realistic. I have an operation background. And if you would have told me that before I started looking into anything at safety, you closed down part of my operation because of a potential safety related thing, I might have not been too happy about it. So how do you handle that emotional distress that's going on? Because it is coming your way. It's fireballing your way, regardless on how you look at it.
1: Yeah. Um... You know, nothing's ever been accomplished by panicking. And again, that's another, I would say, extreme ownership tenant is, you know, you have to detach emotionally. And if you can't detach emotionally, you are going to get overwhelmed by that moment because, you know, this is all on you and you don't have all the information. And if, you know, if all of a sudden you find out you've got information that you didn't have an hour ago and you... On paper, now in retrospect, you know it's kind of like, hey, these preventable accidents we talk about, right? Like, well, they're only preventable once the things crashed. Um, same thing. It was only a bad call. Now that I have this entire REMA paper on what was going on, and it's just being able to weather that and standing your ground, either morally, ethically, or uh, you know, immorally, you got to take a stand. And if you care more about your job than your uh, your personal your personal beliefs, then you're in the wrong business.
0: Well, I, I appreciate you actually going into that because most people would not give that much detail. So I do appreciate you going down that path. Now I got a question for you because you see a little bit of everything. Of course, if you were building out your own company and you had to actually, uh, well, let's say that we still have a, a safety department inside of this organization that you're running. Where do you see that the safety department should actually report to? If you were building it out, it was your company, your name's on the door. How does that actually, how does that company report?
1: To the chief safety officer who happens to be the chief executive officer. Okay. You know, safety is not really a discipline, Jay. It's not a professional discipline. It's a core competency of leadership. And again, I talk about it a lot. We hire these really brilliant people to run these companies. And then it's like a doctor, right? Like a, like a, like a surgeon gets two weeks of nutrition training and then, all of a sudden, we expect them to know something about nutrition, but they act like they do, right? Oh, yeah, you shouldn't be eating that. Well, it's like, you're great at surgery. Do you know anything about what I'm putting in my digestive tract? I don't think so. No. Uh, same thing with these CEOs. They know enough to be dangerous. They know enough to say the platitudes, yep, safety culture, yep, not not one injury, what have you. Um, they don't know what they're looking at. And so when I start a company, um, I, want to, I want the CEO to be, the most passionate about safety. I definitely don't want them to be the subject matter expert, but I want them to have the most passion and it can't be these empty platitudes and um, these posters, right? This is why I despise safety posters. They should be used for target practice. It's really safety is not a poster. Safety is um, is an expression of culture and the ultimate expression of culture is decentralized command. And that's what we need from these senior leaders. That's why, to be honest, I do want to be a CEO. I'll be a terrible CEO, but I just want to run my, the safety program I think should be run. And then I'm probably going to retire because we'll be out of business in two weeks, but I think that we can pull it off. And so that's, one day I want to be a CEO just so I could implement safety as I've always wanted to see it implemented, either well, as an employee or as a as a leader underneath that.
0: Well, you know how some of the sports figures signed the one day contract to, to yeah. go back to like a to go back to a team. Maybe you can make an arrangement like that. You can be like the, a CEO for a day and give it a whirl.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, you get you. I still think that, and that's why you know again, not to harp on Jocko, but the reason companies pay him millions of dollars to come in and basically run the company for six to eight months is because it is leadership. He doesn't know anything about running Pepsi or running these other companies. He's looking for holes in your leadership curriculum or your leadership culture and filling them for you. And it's like, I, wonder if, I hope one day the safety discipline get to the point. And we do have some, I actually have a buddy who consults, shout out Magpie, Safety for Humans, um, a company that would really come in and do that type of work for you and educate those senior leaders i mean every ceo should have at least one confidant in enterprise safety that's not part of the business i feel like that's super important i just don't know how prioritized that is well and
0: that's that's a great question because here's the thing sometimes when you're so close when you have it so close to the chest you don't realize the gaps that are there so that's why the outside consultants come come about so it's always interesting on when you especially see big name consultants come in and take a view on what's going on especially when you look at somebody like jacko that we've been kind of talking about here for the last little bit on he runs it for x period of time Mm -hmm. and of course there's a cost affiliated or associated to the whole thing so when you look at that in the grand schemes do you think that's value added because of the of the holes that are than most organizations have
1: i do and i think you know, again, as a senior leader in an organization, you live in a world of lies of omission, right? Well, you didn't ask. So I'm not going to tell you. Boy, that is absolutely present in safety because, you know, even the near misses, right? We like to report those. I don't know if we report them all. I don't know if we report the scariest ones. Um, having those fresh eyes, I mean, I again at the law, at the water utility, I we led the largest uh, cultural study in the history of that organization, and we did. We used an outside consultant, and. We glean things we never knew, you know. Safety is really that middle out, right? It's not, I hear it's top down. That's not the case. This is the Jay Allen show. You know how
0: sometimes you're out and about and sometimes you have to access a report, maybe your bank account, maybe something that's important to you, but you don't want other people to be able to access it. I know you're probably sitting there for a moment going, well, why don't you just go into incognito mode and use that instead? Well, let me tell you something real quick. Incognito mode does not hide your activity. It doesn't matter what mode you use or how many times you clear your browser's history. Your internet service provider can still see every single website you visited and that's why even when i'm at home i never go online without using expressvpn it doesn't matter who your internet provider is it can be verizon comcast or even at&t the isp in the u.s can legally sell your information to ad companies ExpressVPN is an app that reroutes your internet connection through their secure servers so your ISP can't see the sites that you visit. ExpressVPN also keeps all of your information secure by encrypting 100% of your data with the most powerful encryption available. Most of the times I don't even realize I have ExpressVPN on. It runs seamlessly in the background and is so easy to use. All you have to do is tap one button and you're protected. ExpressVPN is available on all of your devices, phones, computers, even your smart TV. So there's no excuse for you not to be using it. Protect your online activity today with the VPN rated number one by CNET and Wired. Visit my exclusive link at expressvpn.com slash safety and you can get an extra three months free on a one-year package that's e x p r e s s -S vpn.com slash safety expressvpn.com
1: slash safety to learn more and we are back on the jay allen show on safety fm so yeah i was just talking to the value of outside consulting and this is a good segue to talk about you know what i do today because You know, I'm a big fan of Steve Jobs. I think he's the Da Vinci of our generation. Probably not the best human being. But, you know, as far as being innovative and just being a visionary, um, you know, I look up to him a lot. And there's a great YouTube clip of him where he goes bad on consultants, you know, and how we don't have any skin in the game and yada, yada, yada. He's not wrong, except where I work. And so Pinnacle Assurance, we're uh, we're a monoline insurance carrier in the state of Colorado. Uh, We operate more like a mutual insurance company because we're just peripherally attached to the state. But um, our vision is a revolution in caring. And the only reason I came to work here, I did not want to come work for insurance, man. I mean, I I was going to ask you, how do you
0: make that transition? (laughs) Oh, man.
1: I mean, I'm telling you, as an enterprise safety leader for years, you know, the things that my insurance atta- uh, attaches brought me from a safety perspective, I mean, it was drive-by-loss control from 1986. It's a lot of survey. It was almost like, hey, here comes their cost-based justification of their job this month. And then if you want the good stuff, that here's the price for that. Um, so I just coming into insurance, I'm like, no way. But I'd also grown so exhausted of the discipline because I wasn't seeing innovation. I'm not seeing a lot of courage. And you know we've got the books, we've got the academic publishing that's great. We've got UJ in in the field. It's just not happening. Um, it is happening in small pockets at great companies, but across the globe, again, I work for fifty six thousand customers. It is an anomaly. And so the opportunity to come to insurance and Pinnacle asking me, hey, um, we want you to teach our customers how to do safety differently, pun intended, or <laughs> how to do Hop. We don't want cost, cost-based cost justification of jobs. We don't want drive-by-loss control. We want to have an intimate relationship with our customers because we care about them. And sometimes you're the only contact they have at our company. And so just being asked to do that and then build digital products along the way is sort of an add-on. It was just a great opportunity. And if things are going to change, I think it will come in the safety discipline. It will come from insurance because we have access to all these great customers. We have the best intelligence. And again, I don't like the word data because data is kind of worthless with uh, <laughs> context around it. Right. Um, but when we take that data and we turn it into intelligence, man, the productive tools we can build, the insights we can provide to businesses, the coaching and mentoring I can do, whether it's a bakery one day or a massive uh, manufacturer the other day, it's this opportunity to experiment and push up and out, a new era of safety. We've written about it a lot in books. We talk about it on podcasts. It's time to actually disseminate that across businesses in a variety of different industries. And insurance is the best place to do that if the company will let you do that type of work.
0: So right now, where would you see the biggest disconnect when it comes to that? Because as you're saying, there's a lot of good books. There's a lot of people talking about it. There's people shoulda, coulda, woulda, want to do it, blah, blah, blah. So where do you see we can start making those connections? You're saying building digital applications to do so where would you see the best value if you if right now you could say okay we're going to deploy here where would you say that de- the deployment needs to take place
1: well first again maybe broke a record on the leadership piece do i have the leadership infrastructure in place to deploy cool things um before let's we say let, cool let's things? say
0: let's say yes let's say yes for this one
1: okay yeah so i mean i definitely want a cell phone that's been turned into a wearable that um is frictionless for the user and is actually provides actionable intelligence throughout the worker's day so they can use it to not get hurt. They can use it to meet their minimum qualifications for training, either internally or OSHA compliance or what have you. Um, I want a frictionless way to report up and out on concerns. And then I also, you know, I would love to go as deep as get to the Minority Report for you. Old enough to remember that movie, where oh, I I, I think
0: I I think our listeners will know that movie. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I want I want to know what your blood pressure is in the trench on a summer day, and I want to be able to do that as a safety professional on my phone while I'm at lunch with a customer.
0: Okay, so now you want precogs, is what you're pretty much telling me.
1: Pretty much, you know, it's not going to happen, but. I think if we even aspire to that level, if we even if we fall short of that, it's still further ahead than we've ever been. I also think just, uh, you know, safety is such a great thing that showed up, especially for me where I had grown up in safety one. And then I'm like, this is terrible. I mean, this is not I can't do this for my entire life. And then you start to unravel safety two and you're like, oh, wow. And. But how do I implement that when, again, my chain of command came, grew up in this art, this dysfunction from a safety perspective. And I have to have the leadership piece first to educate my boss, my boss's boss, so that I can get to that point where I can implement safety, too. We don't have that right now as a safety profession. Even, I mean, you'd be lucky if you get that CSP at this point, you know. Um, And that's why I always tell my people, you know, I've got 19 CSPs on my team hey, we're done studying safety. We need to be able to lead because all anybody's a leader, no matter their station in life, when they step up and lead. And my consultants are leaders and the ultimate form of leadership is when you're mentoring someone and they don't know you're doing it. And that's that piece and in insurance that we can do if we choose to not be ad hoc auditors for underwriting, which I think is not, not good. You know, that's why we have underwriting. Um, once you're signed on, we're in this together, baby, and we want to get you to a point where, one, you never not renew with us because you love our experience. And then, two, you start to see the real-time uh, ROI of safety at your business. So as you look at this across the
0: board and a lot of the things that you want to implement and as you're going through further into what you were saying, when you look at the whole CSP aspect, being as you're saying there should be more of a focus on leadership, do
1: you see a value still in having a CSP? Yes, I don't want to go bad. I love the BCSP. <laughs> Shout out to the BCSP. Don't pull my the conventional. <laughs> I love you guys. Um, Plug. Guys, here's, here's <laughs> the thing. There's a lot of imposters in safety, right, Jay? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of imposters. It's a, it's a job. If you've turned a wrench in your life and you can speak the language, you can get a job in safety. The CSP helps show that that safety professional wants to get out of bed and, and be better every day. And, you know, it, it's a good way to go, you know, on the flip side of that, just because you don't have it doesn't mean you're not an outstanding safety professional. Um, but I think it's a way to, especially I'm right now, I'm trying to hire uh, a junior leader on my team. Um, by the way, for instance, that pinnacle.com, um, you know, the CSP, you start to see it come in and you start to see it come in and you go, okay, is the leadership piece there? And so, my hope is one day that credential starts to evolve into more leadership because, you know, the ASP, that's really your nerd cert. And, um, you know, shout out to all the nerds. I took the ASP too. By the way, it's way harder. So, if you've already passed the ASP and you haven't gotten the CSP, just go get it. It's way easier. Um, You know, CSP, and there's some leadership curriculum in there, but like, you know, where is the ability to walk in day one and have a superintendent go, I'm not doing that? No. How, where do I go from there? Where's this SOP for that? I've I've got all the credentials, I've got the experience, I got my books, I got my heart at. This so and so has been here thirty years, and they just said no. What's your next step? And What I was, is the
0: next step? I mean, that's that's the difficult one because here's the thing: we did some research and looking at the different designations that there are available in safety. There's over three hundred and fifty. And, of course, there's a value put on to CSP. There's other organizations that are trying to come about and say, hey, ours is as important as CSP, but it focuses on X, Y, or Z, you know, whatever. So this is what I try to take a look at. How can we put a value on one over another? And does and when you start talking about we're starting to get to the point where we'll say plateau for the portion of this conversation where leadership needs to be an essential piece. And, yes, book knowledge is great. Don't get me wrong. But do we start looking at it of, hey, maybe at some point we start looking at maybe leadership might be a little bit more important than a certification?
1: Yeah, I agree. And it really, I to me, it would depend on your job, right? If you're a safety sure. engineer working on, you know, a chemical processing manufacturing plant, sure. it's definitely helpful to have a CSP. Um, but, you know, you're right, the leadership piece. And then guess what I've been studying for the last five years? It's been less safety and been more user experience and service design. And people are always weirded out by that. You know, why are you studying UX and UI? And yeah, yes, I'm in the digital product game, but part of the problem with safety is it's incredibly boring. It's not <laughs> user-friendly. And again, do you use things, Jay, that you find boring or not easy to use, right? You kind of That kind of gets shifted shift to the side. So as a safety professional, you're already trying to sell the hardest product to sell in the world, which is safety, whether it's a training, whether it's um, a standard process. And so if you can start to design experiences and services around that that's enjoyable for the end user, that's another way with the leadership piece. If you start to couple the, the book knowledge with the user experience knowledge and the leadership knowledge, now you've got sort of this triangle that can really be um, effective in getting safety to be utilized. And then being, it's only going to get utilized if you can effectively sell it up the chain of command in your business.
0: So I'm going to make an assumption here. You're a big Salesforce guy.
1: Well, it's funny because we're in the process of going to Salesforce. I love Salesforce. I mean, I'm not, I'm kind of software agnostic. I can tell you a lot of stuff I hate, like mm-hmm. your core systems in cobalt. I'm leaving the company. <laughs> <laughs> but,
0: uh, I, I don't blame you. You should be gone. No, I, but the only reason I say that is because a lot of the stuff that you're talking about, when you start taking a look at some of the stuff that Salesforce can do, especially with some of the information technology, and you start taking a look at some of the digital aspects you're talking about, they almost go hand in hand. And especially you already being insurance. Oh my Lord, would that make it so much easier?
1: Yeah. And again, if you're, t- if you're having employees stop work and come into an auditorium to do safety training in 2021, you're just behind the power curve and safety's being marginalized every day at your business because your senior leaders are getting frustrated with you as a safety professional. You've got to start to remove the friction from that process. Otherwise safety's going to lose operational pressure every time. And so there's this idea that why can't a crew jump on their phone and take a training real quick over lunch? Why do they have to come back to the office, jump on the computers from ten years ago, and start to click through things? They're not absorbing any of it. There's zero knowledge transfer. They're clicking through it to meet the minimum qualms on whatever industry you're in. We've as safety professionals, we have got to innovate in, in just the delivery of it. I mean, forget the whiz bang kind of predictive tool, which again, I'm going to build one day. Um, can you just get the training more streamlined, right? We cannot continue to try to make this argument that we need to stop working to do the X, Y, and Z, especially the more commonplace the training is. Okay. Time for has come again. That has got to be on the phone. You've got to figure out what a way. And I think the safety professional focus on the delivery of the service just as much as the quality of the consultation. I think it's a winning combination.
0: So do you look at it now, then, with everything that has been going on during the pandemic, that technology has advanced in what we do for a living? Do you look at that some of the safety stuff has advanced? Or do you look at it that we're might even just becoming even with the rest of the of the planet on some of the other aspects that are going on?
1: So this is a great question. Um, when I got to Pinnacle, you know, I have 20, I got 16 consultants. I got a ergonomist. I have an industrial hygienist. And then I have uh, three leader managers underneath me um, for the first time in 105 years, they started consulting virtually during the pandemic. Um, they used to only be able to do 133 site visits and we're now 10 X that virtually. We still go on the field when we need to, but all I heard when I got here is we, you can't do safety virtually. Like that's going to be horrible. And lo and behold, now we're doing, we're doing uh, field field audits virtually. We figured that out. And, we're also teaching and educating. We do more webinars than we've ever done. We do more training than we've ever done because guess what? It's less friction. Oh, you mean we don't need to stop work and come in and see you? It's like no, I'll be on Zoom at this time, or will you tell me what time it works for you, and I will teach to this topic for less than fifteen minutes, and we're out of here. And that's sort of this been this kind of gravitate this uh this gravitational pull away from field ops and insurance. And, you know, some of my peers in the industry, they just stopped working during the pandemic. Oh, we can't mm-hmm. go out and do our checklist. I guess our job's over. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was talking to a peer in another uh, state. I won't say which one, but they had... You no, can't even no, say the state? Come on. No, because then she'll <laughs> move <a pocket laughs> But it was like, it was like July and they still didn't have Zoom licenses. They had no, they had no, they had no capacity to, to, to consult outside the walls of their business. And so it's been a game changer for us and... I can touch 10 X more customers virtually. And then we still hold that infield touch in our back pocket when we need it. Um, that's been a big innovation. And then just the technology piece. I mean, it's given us a lot of time to focus on, like you said, professional development, not just CSPs or what, whatever your flavor is, but that, um, that leadership piece that, I mean, my whole team's red extreme ownership. They're reading them all. They debrief it every day as a team. Um, that's that we had that gift of time during the pandemic that I think a lot of safety professionals um, didn't leverage in the insurance industry, um, and then those of my peers in construction who never stopped working. Now you've got Jay, you've got CS brilliant CSPs taking temperatures every day and doing nothing else, while the hazards that are still killing us every day are going on behind them. And that was sort of the ultimate tragedy of COVID for for the safety discipline is really smart people. Um, already didn't have time to, to play whack-a-mole with all the, the known hazards and all of a sudden they're taking temperatures to meet this minimum compliance and you know in insurance unfortunately I see every time someone dies I get an email in our book of business and I'm going I wonder if that state depression was busy taking a temperature when that thing happened or I wonder if there wasn't time for a training because we're taking temperatures And again that doesn't mean taking temperatures weren't important I think we, what we need to do is do you need a certified safety professional to take temperatures or could we have trained someone real quick to just take temperatures real quick? And that was sort of, you know, in one way, the COVID has been a boon for the safety industry. I know, I mean, especially emergency management, I've just, I was kind of, I've been in all three disciplines and operations and it, it, at at worst now we've got sort of this recognition that boy, we better have resilience from a safety perspective if and when something like this happens again. And that's sort of been uh, a win for the discipline. I
0: mean, it's it's been an interesting time on some of the things that safety professionals have had to do during the time frame, especially as you're saying, even going out as far as just taking temperatures. It did really change some of the environment because it was, OK, let's put plexiglass up. Let's have these barriers. And I mean, I don't I don't even know if you remember when people were starting out putting out those, digital monitors where you could see an in infrared oh, yeah. on the, yeah. on the distance on how it was measured. It was like, okay, we're getting a little bit extreme here, but it's interesting on in seeing some of the changes. Now you did mention something because of the change of with the pandemic that you've been able to do technology wise. And you said you were able to do a digital site visit. Could you give some explanation on how that would actually work? Because is somebody controlling a camera. How does that work if that is part of the case or how does that go about?
1: Yeah. It's, you know, I wish it was something super complicated, but you know, again, let's bang on Jocko again. It's simple, not easy. Let's let's FaceTime and you show me the stuff that scares you. Okay. And we've done that now based on my knowledge, let's, let's show me some of the stuff I know that you have that scares me. And then let's go through your loss runs. Let's do an analysis on last three years of what your losses have been. And then let's go look at that stuff and, you know, getting that done in 45 minutes. And then returning an end product to the customer with some helpful advice, some resources. Um, And then that, again, that olive branch, that call me back when this gets more scary. That's kind of how it looks. I mean, there's a lot of technology there. I know some people are sending Google glasses and (laughs) wearing GoPros. And um, again, simple simplicity rules. Um, The customer doesn't want to do anything but grab the phone they already have in their pocket or purse. And walk around for you and have an honest conversation about what scares them. They don't wanna go through your checklist. They don't wanna hear about what you think their best work should look like. They wanna do their best work. And you're there to help them as a safety professional at the insurance care or even the broker side. So if people wanna find out more about
0: what you're doing or more information about your organization, where can they go to find out more?
1: Um, definitely, pinnacle.com is a great place to start. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I don't even know do
0: you accept anything. every, do you accept everybody that actually looks for you on LinkedIn?
1: Not if I can tell they're uh, <laughs> like a digital sales rep for some <laughs> algorithm that's been around <laughs> for five years. Then I don't, I don't say yes, but, uh, you know, if you're, if you want to talk about this or anything I said resonated or uh, by the way, if you want to come work for me, we're hiring. I think it's a great opportunity to network and, um, yeah, LinkedIn, uh, is a, bla- a great place to start. I'm pretty active on there. And then, uh, you know, pinnacle.com, we've got great resources. If you're not up, if you're in Colorado and you're not a policy holder, I strongly recommend you look at breaking off your work comp piece, just to pinnacle because, um, and I'll just say this with confidence, we own the caring market in comp. And I would say the nation, we don't get to compete against the whole nation because we're kind of pinned down in Colorado, but being pinned down in Colorado is also our superpower because if we burn bridges in Colorado, we're out of business. So if you're a Colorado business, give us a call um, or call your agent and say you want to be with Pinnacle because um, you're going to get access to me and you're not going to get a $450 bill, which is what I would charge someone on the consulting side. So, um, yeah, I really appreciate the time, Jay, and uh, I look forward to hearing more of your podcast and i love your short little hitters i know i don't know if people love those those five minutes again friction right (laughs) i got five minutes jay give me your best five minutes i really appreciate those i just want to give you that shout out
0: oh thank you i appreciate it well josh i really do appreciate you coming on to the show today thank you want more of the jay allen show go to
1: safetyfm.com